Good morning. This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40 as we continue to follow along the life of Joseph. We know that Joseph is the firstborn son of Rachel, not the firstborn son of Jacob, and was Jacob's favorite son. His brothers grew jealous of him because the well, because his father favored him. And also because he had dreams where in these dreams he saw his brother and his father and his mother, all of them bowing down to him as if he were the Lord over them. And so his brothers devised a plan. First they were going to murder him, but then they decided to sell him into slavery. And he went into slavery to be a slave in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He ran away. She lied about him. And now then he is cast into prison. And in prison he has become the chief prisoner. He is under the captain of the guard. And just as he prospered in Potiphar's house, and all of Potiphar's house prospered because of him, so now as he is in jail, everything is taken care of, and the chief jailer doesn't worry about anything as long as Joseph is in charge. Now Joseph is different than all the other patriarchs which we've studied so far. Abraham also had prophetic dreams, but when Abraham had prophetic dreams, God told him what they meant. When God, uh, when, if you'll recall, when Abraham falls asleep, when he makes the sacrifice to God, you see the smoking oven and the fiery torch that passed between those halves, and then God tells him, your children are going to go into captivity for 400 years, and I'm going to deliver them. Well, with Joseph, it's a little different. When he has dreams, or as we'll see today, when others have dreams, he himself is wise and discerning to be able to tell what these dreams mean. The Spirit of God dwells within Joseph. And so we see a sort of different kind of man. God is not just telling him everything that's going to happen, but has given him the Spirit of wisdom and discernment to be able to understand the things which he is seeing and hearing. So I'll begin reading here in, verse, uh, in chapter 40, verse 1, about what happens in prison... And how we see the wisdom that God has granted to Joseph. Sometime after this, this is sometime after Joseph's been put in prison. The cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We've had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me. And on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is his interpretation. The three branches are three days. 
In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, Hey, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The baskets, the three baskets, are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position. He placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. (laughs) That's the way it goes. I'm going to talk a little bit about Joseph, his example, and how we can learn from it today. And there's some wonderful things that we can learn from the life of Joseph. One is this, that Joseph himself is a prisoner. And he has been put in prison through no fault of his own. Joseph has never done anything meriting the jailhouse. And yet that is where he is. But by this time, when the chief cupbearer and the chief baker have come to prison, Joseph has become somebody in the prison. In fact, he is the right-hand man of the chief jailer, and everything is under his control. And anything that needs doing, Joseph does it. So he's been given great authority. And though he has been given great authority, he does not use his authority as an embittered man to harm others. In fact, one of the things I noticed as I was reading through here is the fact that Joseph immediately notices when the chief cupbearer and the chief baker are upset. Did you, did you notice that? So think about this. Joseph has authority over them. He could have made their life miserable and no one would have cared. This is ancient Egypt after all. This is not uh, a place where prisoners are necessarily catered to and taken care of. They had been in jail for quite some time. There's no way to know whether they're ever going to get out. They could have stayed there forever. And it would not be unusual for such a person in such a place of authority as Joseph to abuse that position and authority, but Joseph doesn't do it. In fact, he's aware of the feelings and the condition of his prisoners. He takes care of them. When he walks in, when he says, why is your face downcast? That is just his way of saying, hey man, what's wrong? What's going on this morning? Why, Why are you so upset? More upset than usual than you would be in prison. So Joseph is a person of empathy. Joseph is a person of compassion. He wants to be able to help these people, even though they are prisoners, if he can. And and, uh, up to this point, all, all we know about Joseph is that he's innocent of any crime, that everything under his authority has prospered. But now we also see that Joseph has a heart as well. He is a caring, compassionate man in a very difficult circumstance. He does not lose his love, his feeling, his empathy towards others, those who suffer the same fate that he is suffering. So there's a few lessons right off the top that we can learn from Joseph. One is, no matter what what position, what place we find ourselves, we ought to do our job and do it the best we can 
but secondly, that we ought to have care and compassion for others and never use our authority to belittle others, to take advantage of them, or to make their lives miserable. No matter what we're done, well, no matter what we're given to do, we ought to do it with all of our heart. And I can't help but notice here, Joseph is for us. The Old Testament itself, everything in the Old Testament, by the way, tells us about Jesus some way or another. And Joseph here is a good example of Jesus. He is sharing the condition of these prisoners, and he himself had done nothing wrong or nothing to merit that. So he has become a prisoner. And even though Joseph has become a prisoner and the Lord of prisoners, so to speak, because he has all authority that's given to him by the chief jailer, he takes care of them, has compassion on them, regardless of their guilt or innocence. We have no idea if the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, did anything to deserve to be in prison. I doubt Joseph knew whether or not they were innocent, but that did not matter. He still treated them with care and compassion. And because of this, he models for us the behavior, the empathy, and compassion of our Lord. So we can see in Joseph the, the sparkle, the 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 shadow, the the semblance of the Messiah to come, who would come through Joseph's people. So Joseph serves those who are in prison as a prisoner himself, and he has care and compassion on them. And they tell him, we're upset because we both had dreams, and they felt that these dreams were revelations from God, and it turns out that these dreams were indeed revelations from God. And Joseph says, hey, if you've had dreams, tell them to me. is, Is interpretation of dreams, is it not under the authority of God so you tell them to me and I'll see if I'm able to tell them to you what they mean these are revelations from God and notice here especially that the dreams were not given to Joseph they weren't given to Joseph they were given to the chief cupbearer and to uh, the chief baker now what difference does that make Because the Bible is teaching us that if we want to be a Christ-like person, if we want to be a person like Joseph, then we should be a person or a people that people can come to and ask us for wisdom and we can be able to help them in their time of need. Joseph here is a person who is correctly interpreting and dividing the word of God that he has here, which is a revelation from God, which is this dream. And so people are able to come to Joseph, and he's a wise and discerning man. This is something that we really haven't seen so much from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Joseph is a different kind of man. The the Bible is unfolding for us what a wise man, what a discerning man, what a good authority figure should look like, and that is Joseph. And so Joseph is able to give them wise and discerning answers Now today we have a little bit better advantage. We have an advantage over Joseph. The word of God which we have been given is more sure. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible says that long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. This is one of the different ways in which God spoke to them. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So we have a more perfect revelation in Jesus than even Joseph had then. We know about Jesus because of the Bible and the Word of God. We don't have to interpret people's dreams. We don't have to figure out whether or not it was all the turkey we ate on Thursday that gave us the weird dream we had on Thursday night or whether it was something from God. We can go directly to the source, a more perfect revelation. But what Joseph is showing, just as he is a shadow of the Messiah, he is also showing us as a shadow how to rightly divide and know the word of God, that God has given to him a spirit of wisdom. 
If we want to be helpful to others, then we ought to be discerning and wise like Joseph. James tells us that we can be this type of person. If any of you, or me, like wisdom from God, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask for it. Let him ask of God without doubting. The Lord will make them wise and discerning. So what we want to be is a person like Joseph. No matter our circumstance, no matter our situation, that we serve others, that we love others, that we are the type of people that people can come to with their problems and that God will give us wisdom and discernment so that we can give them good counsel. And that's what Joseph does. He gets involved in their lives. He asks questions. He gets involved with their lives. And that's what we need to do. We need to ask questions. We need to get involved. If our co-worker's face is downcast, we won't, we won't use those words maybe, but if you notice that your co-worker is upset, maybe like Joseph, you can say, hey, is something wrong today? And maybe if like Joseph, you have used your time with them well, then they will open up to you and say, yes, this is what's going on in my life. And then because you are a student of the Word of God and because you have earnestly asked God to give you wisdom, you can help them in their time of need. And they might go, this is the kind of person I should listen to more. And you can share Christ. You can be their Joseph. You can do that for them. So get involved in the discussion. Have a hunger and a thirst to know the truth. Ask of God and see if He will give to you the sorts of discernment that we saw of Joseph. And Soon we're going to see that Joseph's going to go before Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh is impressed with Joseph, he says, Can we find anyone like this in whom the Spirit of God dwells? That's where our power comes from. That's where our discernment comes from. It's where our wisdom comes from. We can be this type of people for the culture around us. But it's going to require something of us. Telling the truth even when it is uncomfortable. Now... We've seen nothing but good from Joseph, right? All he's done is be kind, compassionate, and tell the truth. When he shared his dreams with his brothers, he didn't do anything but share God's word with them. God had given to him those dreams, and we will see that they came to pass. Joseph has never done anything wrong. The only thing that continues to get Joseph in trouble, in fact, is that he's telling the truth and doing what's right. What was it that made Potiphar's wife so angry? Well, first of all, he refused to commit adultery with her. But he said, look, everything in your, master, in your husband's house is under my authority. Everything has been given to me except for you. Now, how can I do such a terrible thing and sin against God? He doesn't say sin against Potiphar. He says sin against God. It's not just Potiphar I'm going to disappoint, but God. And for that, she became enraged and he went to jail. And that's where he is now. For telling his brothers that he had a dream where they bowed down to him. That made them upset, and he went to be a slave. Today, he's going to have to do the same for the chief baker. And we're going to see exactly why Joseph gets in trouble. So the cupbearer gets a good report, the Bible says here. He gets a good report. He says, look, this is what I dreamed. And look, if the Bible hadn't told me what this dream meant, I would have no idea. <laughs> I would have had no idea. There's three vines, there's a bunch of grapes on it. I took the grapes, I squeezed it into Pharaoh's cup, and I handed Pharaoh his cup. And Joseph goes, oh, well, that's, this is what the Lord is saying. In three days, this is very specific, by the way. And I just want to run just a rabbit trail just for a second. The prophets of God are very specific in what their words say come to pass. It's not vague. They don't have a feeling. They don't have a peace. This is straight up, God says, in three days... Pharaoh is going to lift you up 
and you're going to serve him as you once did. Now that is a prophecy that is very specific whether or not we know this person is a prophet of God. And Joseph was. He was able to interpret and rightly divide the word of God and say, hey, in three days. And so the Bible says here, and I want you to notice this. It says, when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable. When the chief baker saw the interpretation favorable. Until he heard the favorable, he was not willing to share his dream. So he thought, hey, this guy just got a good interpretation. Maybe I'll get one too. Here's what happened to me. I had a basket on my head. It was all kind of bread. I was going to Pharaoh, but all these birds kept coming and eating the bread. And Joseph breaks this guy's heart. I'm sure. This guy was really hoping that Joseph was a false prophet. He said, okay, you got three days, and Pharaoh is going to lift off your head from your shoulders. You're a goner, and the birds of the air are going to eat your flesh. That's what this dream means. Now, that is a tough thing to sell somebody right there. That was tough. But it was the word of God. And why would God give to the chief baker such a dream? It's horrific, isn't it? Think about those things just for a moment. Let that run around in your head that these dreams are from God and that Joseph tells them the truth. Wouldn't it have been easy for Joseph just to tell him something else? I don't, or, or at least just kind of be like, ah, I'm not real sure what that one means, buddy. I, I got the, you know, just kind of, hey, here's your breakfast. I'm out. Woo, that's a rough one. No, he tells him. Was that mean, cruel of Joseph to tell him such a thing? Joseph tells the man the truth, and I believe, honestly, it's a great kindness. If I were about to be killed in three days, I would like to know it. If the Lord had told me. Why? Give you some time to get ready to meet your maker, right? You got three days. Get your affairs in order. It was actually a great kindness and mercy of Joseph to tell him the truth. So that any false illusions he had that he would go back to power to be the chief baker would be dispelled. And you and I are called to be like Joseph. To those who feel like there is no hope, we preach hope. To those who sin, we preach repentance. And to those who repent, we show grace. And it's the part of the hard part of telling people the truth that gets us into trouble. And that's what makes Joseph so good. He's, he's innocent, he's kind, but he tells the truth no matter what the cost to himself. That's what Joseph does. And so we need to be able to be like Joseph, to be able to be wise and discerning, but we also have to be willing to tell people the truth. Now, here's what I want to ask you, and this is what I asked myself as I was reading this. Am I the chief baker? Not in the sense that God's going to kill me in three days, but do I only want to hear the word of God when it's favorable? Am I able to listen when it doesn't? feel favorable. I'm reminded that there was a, there was a man of God. His name was Eli. Y'all, y'all may remember Eli. He had two nasty sons. They were terrible guys. And these two guys took the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, remember, they took the Ark of the Covenant out into battle. It was captured when the word came back that the Ark had been captured. Eli fell off his chair. The Bible says he was a great fat man. <laughs> it's pretty... Sometimes the Bible is... Blunt and honest, too. And he fell off his chair, and he was so fat and big that when he fell off his chair, he broke his neck and died. It was a bad day for Eli. 
But what was impressive to me about Eli was God told him this was going to come to pass through Samuel. Samuel had to give an unfavorable report to Eli. He said that his sons were going to be killed and his line was going to be cut off for the sins that they did. And you know what Eli said? He said, let the Lord do what seems good to him. That's bold. That's bold. So ask yourself, are you the chief baker? Are you only prepared to hear the truth as long as it makes you feel good? And I want to say to you, if you are the chief baker, most of us are, (laughs) most of us are him, that we need to be the sort of humble person that is able to receive truth no matter what the truth is. We need to be the sort of person like Eli who says, let the Lord do what seems good to him. Because things are going to happen to us that are rough and difficult, and people are going to have to tell us things that are rough and difficult, and often the truth can hurt us, but we need to be open and available to hear it. So first of all, ask yourself, are you the chief baker? And ask God to help you have a heart where you can receive the truth, where when it hurts, we can receive it. Now here's another very important question that you need to ask yourself. If we are called to do what Joseph has done and tell people wonderful things but also difficult things, and I'm serious about this. Everybody take time to meditate on it. Are we comfortable with the truth ourselves? Now, I ask if we are able, if we always wanted a favorable word, but are you comfortable with the truth? And by are you comfortable with the truth, I mean are you able to accept the difficult things which the Bible teaches because if you're not able to accept the difficult things which the Bible teaches, you will not be able to tell people the truth. What are the difficult things that the Bible teaches? Difficult in our culture anyway. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Exclusivity. What do I mean by that? Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except for Jesus Christ. There is no way to go to heaven except through the crucified Messiah who is risen from the dead. No other religion will get them there. No other acts of goodness, no no kindness, no one is good enough. If people die apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will suffer for the sins which they have committed for all of eternity. Can you handle that truth? And when I say, are you comfortable with it, I don't mean, does it make you super happy? What I mean by that is, have you accepted this as God's truth and you can look someone in the face who denies Jesus and say, unless you repent, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And when you meet Jesus face to face as Lord of all creation, he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Are you comfortable with the truth? Comfortable in the sense where you know this is the truth whether you like it or not. What about hell? Jesus talked about hell. He said it's the place where the worm never dies, where thirst is never quenched, where there's darkness, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Are you able to speak on that with others if they come to you and said, you believe, actually believe, that if people don't come to Christ, they're going to a place called hell. Do you actually believe that Pharaoh is going to kill me in three days? How could you say such a thing to me? That's actually a not as awkward thing to say as the reality of hell. The culture around us doesn't believe it. They think that such punishment would be unjust. Have you thought about it? 
You know why hell is? You know why it would be a necessary place for God to create? What is hell all about? Are you prepared to be a prophet of God? And speak these words of truth to others as a mercy and kindness so that they can know what's coming and prepare for it. Have we thought about it? Do you understand these things? What about sin? Do you know why things are sinful? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago before Pastor Rejoice so graciously preached last week, but I want to remind you of these things again. How do you define sin? What is wrong? What makes something wrong and something right? Today it seems that we want to define uh, sin as something that makes others uncomfortable. Uh, a belief even that you might have that would make someone uncomfortable. We shouldn't make people uncomfortable on purpose. We should love people. Sin doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what we think. Sin is defined by the word of God. And if God says something's wrong, we have to accept that. He knows better than us. And sin is not defined by what makes us feel good or feel bad, but by what God says is right and wrong. And when we come to Jesus, if we want to be saved, then we have to come as humble people who have given up ourselves. You don't have any rights when you come as a slave to Christ. And what I mean by that is all these desires, lots of things that we want to do, we have to say when we come to Christ, lots of things that I might want to do, even things that might be right, I don't get to do them if Jesus says no. Everything I give to him. Jesus told his disciples this, did he not? He said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot have part of my kingdom. None. You can't come with me unless you come dying. Die to self and you will live. Keep your life and you will lose it. So there's all kinds of talk in our culture about things that we can do which make people happy. Things, talks about sexuality. Is this right or wrong? Look, straight or not, when you come to Jesus, that's gone. You don't get to make a decision about that anymore. Your sexuality belongs to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. And we do what he says. What he says. These are difficult things to say to the culture. Are you comfortable with it? And when I say comfortable with it, I, again, I don't mean that you, you aren't pricked by it in your conscience or it's not a difficult thing, but have you understood what the Bible has taught and are you able to say, these are not my words but the word which the Lord has given? It is our job to say, not thus says my opinion. <laughs> this is what's killing us. What we need more of is thus says the Lord. It's the only salvation that we can have. And so my fear is that we can't have a bunch of Josephs because we haven't thought enough about the consequences of our own beliefs and we have not asked for God for the care, compassion, wisdom, and discernment to be able to share what is true. And when the tides of culture from without and doubt from within swells up. We will not be able to stand. We have been given a word that is more sure. We have a firm foundation. And it is serious business out there. Serious business. Souls, people are beautiful. They're wonderful, made in the image of God. And they're all going to die. 
and they're all going to face judgment. And they ought to know what they're going to face, whether they believe us or not. Now, like I said, not every single word that we give is bad, thank God. Right? He's always the chief cupbearer. <laughs> he got restored to his position, right? There is always the hope in the gospel that no matter what we do, no matter what we, how we sin, no matter what we say, that God will be true to us and faithful. A lot of people struggle with that. Guess what? It's common. People think, well, God really saved me. I have nights of doubt whether or not Jesus will save them. I have great care and compassion for that, as our Lord did. You know why Jesus will save you? You want to be saved? Here's why Jesus will save you. Because he said he would. Because he said he would. It has nothing to do with your goodness. It has nothing to do with how well you obey him. It has nothing to do with your failures or triumphs. Here's why Jesus will come for you. Because he said he would. That's so beautiful. It doesn't matter what your sins are that you've brought. It doesn't matter the things that you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've failed. Jesus will save you because he said he would. And if you will believe him... He will save you. And sometimes, even when you don't, he will still save you because he said he would. That is a comfort to those who doubt. It's my comfort. I do not believe that Jesus will save me because I am such an outstanding person. I think he'll save me because he said he would. Look. Brothers and sisters, we do have to come to our culture with uncomfortable words, with hard things, because people want to do stuff. They want to feel love. They want to get love. They, 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 they have this gaping emptiness in their heart. They want to know who they are. They want to think that their life has purpose. And all of these sins are looking for sin and love in places that can never fulfill them. And I have empathy for that. And our job is to say, you cannot go there. That's not where you will find love and completion. You will find it only in Christ. And if you will give up everything, everything, you will find joy and peace and happiness. It won't always be easy. In fact, it may never be easy. But the love of Christ will give us peace that passes all understanding. He is good. He has become flesh. It's the season to think about it. Joseph became a prisoner, was kind to prisoners. Jesus became a human being, was kind to us. So kind. Washed feet of sinners. Cleansed the leopard, made, lepers, made the blind see. Made those who are lost be found. You ever been lost? Like for real? Not, not like lost, like spiritually speaking, but not have the foggiest idea where you are and whether you're going to get back. This is funny. It's not funny. I'll give you a bit of a hunter's safety course. You know why most people die lost in the woods is because they panic. When we had to go through the hunter's safety course and they were in order to hunt, they gave us all these scenarios, people who died in the woods because they got lost. And 
a lot of times, and, and the rescuers would tell you this, when they start finding clothing, they stop looking for people and stop looking for a body. Here's what people do. People who die of hypothermia, when they get lost in the woods, they start to run blindly in a direction because they're freaked out. And when they're running, they get hot and they start sweating and they start shedding their clothes. Take off their coveralls. Take off their bottoms. Because they got all that hot stuff on. And they just continue to run. And then when they get tired and they sit down and it's minus 12 degrees, all the stuff they took off that's keeping them warm is no longer there and they're covered in water because they're sweating and they die. That's what it's like to be lost. People running with all of their might in the woods can't find themselves and they die in their sins. How good and how kind of God to not only find us when we're lost, but give us a home placed by the fire to warm ourselves by his word. A cup of hot chocolate in Jesus' name. For us to be able to say, I was lost and I was found. I was without family and I had family. I had no home and now I have a home. This is what Jesus offers to us. Forsake those worthless idols. Come to Christ who will save us. Because he said he would. These are the things that I see modeled in Joseph's life. He has to, first of all, have compassion on those who are suffering in the same way which he is suffering. He is able to rightly divide the word of God. He's been given a, the spirit of God, so he has wisdom and discernment. And he's able to tell uncomfortable truths to prepare people for the things that are to come. But he also had good news. We have great news that whoever comes to Jesus will never perish but have eternal life and all the ones the, fathers have get, the Father has given to him will never perish but he will raise them up on the last day he will save us because he said he would let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we are thankful Lord I'm even thankful just for the season God thank you that we have Advent, that we have Thanksgiving, that we have this wonderful time of the year where our focus is on family and giving and the things that you have given to us. So Lord, fill our hearts with thanksgiving and let us see our idols for what they are. Let us see our sin for what it is and help us to live lives of compassion and courage so that we can help those around us know about the judgment to come and how they can prepare for it. And that if they will believe in Jesus, confess him as Lord and repent of their sins, they will be saved. Oh Lord, we are so distracted by so many things that are passing. Have mercy on us, we are dust and ash. Lord, show us the beauty of your 